The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, Son, and Spirit, we do say thank you for the work that you have done to make us different. To save us from sin and to deliver us into a whole new existence. One day fully, but even right now begun. It is all a work of your grace and we say thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that more than just saying thank you, that we would be thankful. So towards that end, I ask you to open the eyes of us, your people, and impress upon us the depth and the breadth of this story. We are living in a certain day, in a certain place, in a certain age, but we are part of a vast, long story that has a beginning and will have an end. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see some of the scope of it and to marvel that little bitty people like us have a place in it and that by your grace we have a marvelous place in it. Those of us who know you will know you forever because of you. Those of us who don't know you can know you if we would just come, embrace your grace and your gift. Lord, help us to see that. And this morning, help us to contemplate what this particular passage brings to us, something about our future existence and a sobering about our current existence. And create, Lord, a longing for it, a contentment in its coming, and a desire for it to come both at the same time. Lord, make that happen in us. Would you remove from my mind and my heart and from the minds and hearts of those who sit here distraction and confusion and bring clarity and focus. Speak in a way that we can hear. So Father, I ask you to send your spirit here to make that happen, to illumine the text, to give life to our minds and hearts to teach us, to correct us, to encourage us. Have your way with us, Father, Son, and Spirit. For your glory and for our good, I pray it. In Christ's name, I ask for this. In Christ's name, that is, along with him, for him, in conjunction with him. In Christ's name, Lord, would you do this. Amen. We give our attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the middle, the chapter we've been here now for several weeks, looking at what Paul has to teach us about this grand final subject of the resurrection of the dead. He said this issue until last. It was an issue that he had to address. It was one that was raised in Corinth, and as we've seen, there was some confusion there about this doctrine. So he had to address it, but he saved it to the end because really, in a very real way, it, it is the end. It's what this whole work of God is moving towards. It's it's the end goal. That God is acting to bring people from death to life. 
So it's the end, and he comes to it, and he's been addressing it, and so we've seen him talking about that up through verse 34, and last week in particular, emphasizing how we have, in fact, do have a life after this life. Something's coming, a new and greater life, because then, finally, at that time, Christ will finish what he is about right now. He is working to to grab every single rebel power throughout all of the creation and subjecting them all beneath his feet. And one day he will finish that work. All the powers out there in the world, in the spiritual realm, in the human heart. He will subject them all. He will wrap it all up and give it back, a conquered creation, back to the Father. And so we will live in that coming life, an existence that is awesome. Perfect and clean and pure. In that place, God will be all in all. It'll be an, an incredible thing. That life is coming. But what will our existence there be like? What will we be like? Us. We are physical beings. We are created. We live in a physical realm. We have bodies. We have mental faculties. What will we be like there? We are creatures created in the image of God. That is, we are, we are created to reflect like a mirror, if you, if you want to keep that image. Like a mirror reflects. A mirror is not the object reflected, but it is reflecting it. So if you look, you can see. We're made in the image of God to image Him or to reflect Him here throughout all of His creation. We do that primarily through our bodies and through our faculties, and that will continue into what we call heaven. The Bible calls it heaven. It uses terms like the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It describes it as a great city, as a coming garden. In that place, in that time, we will continue to reflect God physically. Not in some spiritualized, non-material existence. So what would that be like? It's a good question. It will be something like, if you look at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, it would be something like that. that the, the creation before the fall that ruined it all, it, the creation is not thrown away. It's fixed. It's redeemed and brought back together. So something of what we will be like, you can get from looking back. But it will be different and better. How? What will it be like? Well, we'll see some details, some details in the passage today. I do say some, because it's not exhaustive. And if you want to think more about this, let me jot this down. I recommend a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, which consists of a a fair bit of what I might call sanctified speculation. He says, we know A and we know B, so that perhaps means C and D. Think about that. He's pretty honest about that, so you won't get hoodwinked, but... But it's worth reading, because it'll make you think. Perhaps about things you never thought about before. If you want more details, go to, that, go to that book. But we will see some details in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. And my hope is that as we, as we look at this and think about it, that it will leave you with enough of a picture of what our existence will be like to leave you encouraged, hopeful, maybe corrected, but that my hope and what I've asked God for is that he would, he would speak to us where we sit here 
and particularly to you who right now suffer here, that he would say something to you that will leave you saying, more is coming, a glorious day. And that will leave you with hope to live this day, because you have to live this day until then. So may he do that, or may he do whatever he wants to do this morning. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 1 Corinthians 15. The passage begins with a question raised by some in Corinth. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? What's, what's that life like? That's the question we want to know. But how Paul responds to that question reveals that that question coming from them is not coming with a genuine desire to actually know the answer. Rather, they're asking the question from the stance of what we saw in verse 12, where there are some teaching that the dead are not raised at all. And, and they're raising this question of what's the body like with this kind of attitude. Raising it to make it look like it's ridiculous. Come on, guys, think about this. When a person dies, he decays and turns to dust. What is there to raise? Can't happen. And so Paul's point in this first paragraph here is to show that actually it can happen. Think about it. And he points us out to look at nature. Different things out there right in front of our eyes to show that this sort of thing does happen, can happen. Now, this is what explains his rebuke of you foolish person, which is not a nice way to talk to somebody. 
but he thinks they're being foolish. They're deliberately avoiding the obvious evidence. You foolish person, look around. 36 to 41 then brings up a whole bunch of examples. Life can and does come from things that decay. Look at seeds. You plant a seed, you put it in the ground, and what comes up but a plant. And if you look at that, you realize this plant is completely different looking from the seed, but it's connected. This seed always produces this kind of plant, never produces that kind of plant or that one. It's connected, there's a continuity there, but it's very different, and this plant came from that dead thing. You put it in the ground, it fell apart and decayed, and a new body, a plant, came. That happens, he's saying. And then moving beyond plants, he moves to all sorts of other things in the creation, 39, 40, and 41. Notice how 40 lists heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. They're different. They have a different glory to them. If we look up, we see things that cause us to, to revel at their, their, their scope, their vastness. And then if we look down, we see things that cause us to marvel at the minutiae. Little things. They're they're different kinds of glory. They're earthly bodies, and he lists some, verse 39, humans, animals, birds, fish, all different. God's given them each a body that fits what he wants them to be and do. And then there are heavenly things, and the contrast here in the passage makes clear that he's not mentioning yet heaven like, like we're thinking about, heaven as to where we go to live with Jesus. He means heaven as in the heavens, like he mentions, the the moon and the sun and the stars. God made them too, quite different. The point of all this is what? Well, he's just saying, look around. God makes bodies of vastly different sorts, but matching exactly what he intends them to be and do. And sometimes he even makes those bodies out of dead things, like seeds. So don't say you foolish people. Don't say, it's dead, that's the end. Can't be. Sure it can. That's all he's trying to say in the first paragraph. It's a bit of a a refuting of of a position that says it's impossible. No, it is possible. And then he moves on, and so it is with the resurrection of the dead. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, on the last half of the passage. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Like a seed, a new body comes out of it that's connected to it but is different. Something comes and it is glorious like everything that God makes. It comes glorious. And then what happens is he says, it's glorious in these two different ways. And what runs through the whole rest of the passage is this, this complex contrasting. He uses different terms here and there, but he's, he's showing, starts in 42 and 43 and 44, this half and then this half. This half and this half. Sown and raised, sown and raised. Two atoms in verse 45. Two different origins. Two different outcomes. There's a body. We have a body that is a natural body, and we will have a body that is a spiritual body. We are of one Adam, and we will be of a second Adam. That's the text. And that's what I'm going to unpack, that contrast. 
Look at some of the details, but I'm, I'm essentially going to say I've got one point about the first half of the contrast. We'll look at the things that are said there. And then I've got a second point about the second half of the contrast, where we're headed. And again, what my hope here is, is that as we look at these two contrasts and these two modes of existence, that there will be something in you who live in this former one that will say, God is good and God is bringing me this latter one, this, this, this coming existence, and it will stir in you hope here and now. So let me move to my, my two observations. Let me make the first one here. It's the first, first part of the contrast. For now, we all alike bear the image of our father, Adam. For now, until we are changed, for now, we all alike bear the image of our father, Adam. Paul brought up Adam earlier in the chapter, and he comes up here again in verse 45. Adam is the first man created by God back in Genesis 1. And if you read the Genesis 1 account, you have all of the creation boiling down to Adam and Eve. And then if you read Genesis 2, you have an expansion of that little part of the creation and more detail given. That's why there are two accounts, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So in Genesis 2, what we see is, well, a little more about how he made Adam. What did he do there? He took dust. He took matter, God did. Gathered it together, formed it, and then here's the quote, made him a living being. Adam became a living being. And the point back in Genesis, and the point here in saying this, that describing Adam as made from the dust is to emphasize his created nature. Adam does not exist and does not have life in and of himself. He is given something from outside of him and for a whole bunch of us, that this is obvious, but not for all of us. He is a dependent. Adam is a dependent. He receives. He is created, given. And before that, he is not. Think of a flashlight battery, for example. The materials are assembled together in such a way that what you then have is this fully charged little power pack, I'll call it. And there's a certain degree of power in that battery. It can light up a flashlight. A certain degree of power. And there's also a, a clear need for a power outside to have made these things and gathered them together. And there should also be a knowledge that this power is fading away. It is draining out, even the rechargeable ones. It will go away and die. There's power right now fading. Adam was drawn together, charged up, and has a certain degree of glory. He is a body made by God with a certain degree of glory. There's something there in him. But he was always simply dust. A man of the earth, if you track down through 48, for instance, 
Adam is dust, always in need from the, of some power to come from the outside and act on him. And as 48 says, as was the man of dust, so too are all of us. All of us who are in Adam. In other words, every single one of us, all of us human beings. We are in Adam, dependent, dust. And over every single one of us, God's final statement from Genesis 3, dust you are and to dust you shall return. All of us. Which means, 42, 43, 44, think of what we are. Until the moment we die, we are, we are sown into the ground. Until that moment, this is what we are. All of us. Christians too. Now there's more to our story. We are more, but we are not less than this. We live in Adam right now. Perishable. Which does not just mean that we're going to die one day. It means that we are susceptible to decay and declining. Think of all the perishable things in your refrigerator. They have, they have a date at which they are no good. But they are not completely perfect up until that time and then bad. There's stuff growing on them the whole time. Right? They are decaying a little bit. And you can just, you can tolerate it. And it's, it's held back by the cool, but it's there. Subject to decay, to decline. You're sitting here, wasting away. Your muscles are weakening. Your mental faculties are fading. Your reflexes are slowing inexorably, unstoppably, can't change it, Lee. Human. Dust. A constant humiliation. A constant humbling. Next word, dishonoring. There is a constant decline. The body, your body, sags where it didn't used to, doesn't it? It does. You're not as quick as you used to be. You can't remember everything you used to be able to remember. The tone is gone. The capability is forever lost. And all of the, and I'm going to say this in, in kind of an extreme way that's, that's obviously bad and in a more normal way. All of the, the chest-thumping pride of our youth fades in a constant humbling you remember the picture? This was all over Sports Illustrated. And it's a very famous uh, sports photo of Muhammad Ali standing over, I think it's Joe Frazier, muscle flexed, attached that, his, attached that his famous phrase, I'm king of the world, until he's ravaged by disease and isn't even king of himself. Every single one of us. Or, or to knock it down to a less dramatic level, the young kid who takes three steps at a time going up the high school steps to the teacher, slow down, slow down, slow down. Fifty years later, one at a time, holding on to the rail. Every single one of us. A constant humbling of our lives 
You cannot stop it. We are perishing. We are in a dishonoring process, physically and mentally, and even more than that, spiritually. If you think for a moment about the sin and the weakness that plagues us spiritually, we live in dishonor all the time. Characterizes who we are. You cannot get rid of the sin in you. Now, we can grow in it, for sure, but it's there. You will struggle with your sin nature till you die. You will never be able to get over the shame of a sin I know is sin and I do it anyway. Oh, wretched man that I am. That'll be with you till you die. You will always remember the shame of someone else's sin afflicting you till you die. Dishonor. Weakness. You have no capability to erase all of that and get rid of it. You're dust. The battery power is running out of your life. Men and women, how much of it is left? It's running out. Now, carefully, I don't want to be completely bleak here. Not completely. But I want to point out, this is Paul's tone. I don't want to be completely bleak because we do need to remember that Adam was created in the image of God with glory on him. Of a different sort, with glory on him. And there is much good that we can experience and do even now, especially you who are Christians. There's much good, and we're going to come to that later. There's, there's much good on you, but I don't want to be completely bleak, but mostly bleak because this is Paul's tone and he's talking to a church that thinks like, boy, they could be Americans. He's talking to a church that thinks like in spiritual terms, hey, we have the Holy Spirit, we have spiritual gifts, we are there, and it's just going to get better from here. We Americans, boy, we live as if newer, better, more, and higher is the way it is, and we isolate ourselves from frailty, from death. We cover it in euphemism, we put it in a special house somewhere else, and we walk away. We eat our vitamins and we go to the gym and we think, I can get back there. I can get back there. I can't, I can't, I can't. You you can't. I'm not trying to, to be overly negative, just realistic here. We must get this. You must get this. You are a flower quickly fading. A mist Gone. No one will even notice it a hundred years from now. We are, you are, dust. And to dust you shall return. We are clothed in this image. We who are in Adam are covered with it. For now, for now, because if you recall, the whole point I'm trying to develop here is, for now, we all alike share in this image of Adam. There's a lot in that for now. 
because it's going away. This existence, your life right now, what you are, is going away. And Paul tells us this to to give to us a warning and an encouragement. A warning first. Think about this. No wise person invests her whole life savings to buy a house that is currently on fire. Nobody does that. Never put an offer on a house that is underwater, literally. No one does that. You wouldn't spend your whole life on something that's going away, that's perishing. Would you? Why do we? Whole bunches of us in the church even spend our whole lives on something that's running like sand through an hourglass and is going to be gone. A flower quickly fading. Quickly fading. We must think about this, brothers and sisters. If you're, if you're not yet a Christian, there, there's something really important to think about, about how Christ can change that. I'm going to talk about that. But brothers and sisters, we must think about this. So much of how we invest our time and our resources is as if all of life is right here and right now. I've got to grab it quick. Not true. So much of what we fight about, so much of the trouble between us is rooted in the fact that you and I both think our life is right here, right now. It's not true. Let go of it. Live for another life that's coming. There's a warning there in that. But there should also be great hope and encouragement. And that's what I want to, want to most put my hand on this morning. Because there are some of us here when you read through perishing, dishonor, weak, and natural, you say, yes, that is me. You say it through tears, perhaps. That is me. I find myself weak in my struggle against sin. I find my body failing. Uh, I'm in this wheelchair, and I will be till I die. I've got this disease, and I will be till I die. My body's wasting away, and it's going to get worse until I die. I can't remember anything anymore. That's the way it's going to be, worse and worse, until I die. Fill in the blank there, until you die. This life... can come with sorrows. Sometimes we do a really good job and ironically even use God's good gifts of medicine and science to insulate ourselves and to isolate ourselves from the reality. But sometimes you bump into the reality and you see, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. In perishing, declining, decaying, weak, powerless dishonor and shame, is real. And you live in it, or your loved one lives in it, or perhaps perishes in it. What from this then? In this case, the same phrase, a flower quickly fading, is meant to say, take heart, you are a flower quickly fading. 
And from the decaying, declining, dying, God will bring a new body glorious for you. Do you believe that? Maybe I'm particularly talking to one person that I don't know. So I ask you, do you believe that? And who around you, who do you have around you that will tell you that it's true when you don't believe it? And can remind you to help you, not to rebuke you, but to to help you. This is passing, brother. This is passing, sister. There's something else coming. Find somebody that's you. For now, not forever. For now, we share in this body of dust the image of Adam. But there's something else coming. And that brings us to the second point. One day, we people of dust will bear the image of Christ. One day, we people of dust will bear the image of Christ. Picking up again in verse 45, where we have the first Adam contrasted with the last Adam, the last emphasizing finality here. Look at the verse, noticing the two halves. In the first half, you have Adam, and in the second half, you have Adam. In the first half, you have became, and in the second half, you have became. And then notice two really important contrasts. Adam, first Adam, became living. And the second, Adam became life giver. Very different. And then, the first Adam became living, what is he? Being. That's what it says in English. Probably most of our English translations say being, which is a little clumsy and clouds something. That word being right there, it's the same root as the word natural, which is twice in the verse before and once in the verse after. So if you read this through originally, there are four times, see the contrast lining up here, four times that you have natural, of nature, of the earth. Our English word for that is being, but perhaps we might say something like, Adam became a living nature creature became a living creature from the earth, to use 47's language, became dust. And then you have, on the other hand, Christ, who is life-giving spirit, which is the same word that occurs twice before and twice after. So you see the contrast lining up here. You've got two atoms that are very different in what they do and what they are. talked about the first one already, but the second Adam, the last one, became life-giver. How? How did he become a life-giver? 
Well, he's not from this realm here. He's not one of the batteries. He's from outside. He's spirit. And he steps in and does something. And we need to be really clear on this because I could accidentally, inadvertently, miscommunicate something saying that every single person on the planet experiences this. That isn't true. Every single person on the planet is in Adam. Think of like a sphere where you're in this balloon. Every single one of us, a human, is in Adam, and we experience that. But not every single person is in Christ, the second sphere, the second Adam. So not every single person experiences this. You'd be really clear about that. But let's talk about what the this is and how he brought it and how you can know it. He became a life giver. This is the good news from God to us frail dust people, that God in grace, which means something that God did that is not deserved by us. God in grace. God who is spirit and has no body like us, who is not matter. God sent His Son, God the Son, to the earth to take on one of these bodies. Which right there is so familiar to us, but it should shock you. If we've walked through and thought about perishable, dishonoring, weak, God took that onto Himself? Yes. Amazingly, yes. And not just for kicks but to free you from it. How? Well, he took on a body so that he could embrace fully all of that weakness and all of that shame and go and give up his life. And that's how he gives you life. God sent his son to earth to go to the cross to pay for sin, to free you from death, to free you from bondage in this body. He perishes in weakness and humiliation, and is raised back again, what this chapter is about, is raised back again, imperishable, in glory, in the power of the Spirit, and says, I can give that to you. I can give it to you if you will trust me. Brothers and sisters, There is something here for you to think about, but particularly those who are not yet Christians, I plead with you right now, think this through. You are quickly fading. And unless you find yourself in this sphere with this Christ, you will pass away still trapped. In all that Adam brings you, trapped in your guilt before God, and right here in front of you is an offer of hope. The single offer of hope. So I just put that in front of you and plead with you, take it. Reach out, not with your physical hand, but reach out to Him and say, 
I have nothing in me. I need life from outside of me to be given to me. And I understand that at the cross, Jesus, that's what you did. I need that. Please take my sin on you and pay for it. Put me in you. He will if you surrender to Him. And then you can become a part of what the rest of us should already note, 42, 43, 44, we should note that already is for you. It's the other half of the contrast. What is this life like that He gives you? And here we perhaps come to the point. When He gives you this life, what is it? Well, it's the opposite of all those comparisons. It is imperishable. Which, again, means it's the opposite of the decay and the decline and the wasting away, but is, on the contrary, an ever-growing, ever-developing, ever-deepening, flourishing life. You, to become fully human, never God. You never become God. Some people teach that erroneously. We never become God. Think about that. Things made from matter can never become not made from matter. Things created can never become not created. We never become God. But we become what He made people to be fully In glory. It is hard for us to imagine. I know this, this puts me particularly in a place where I think, what is it like to be glorious human? What is it like? Well, you've got to think about it a little bit. Understand the word. It's, it's something about honor and significance. Something about, about weightiness and meaning. I get a little picture of it when I think about the Chronicles of Narnia. If, if you've read that or seen any of those movies, there is always Aslan, the God, and everything's beneath him, but in all of the marvelous creatures and all the marvelous lands of that world, the humans are unique. They have a special glory because they were made to be the heads of it all. To bear the image of God into what He made. In some way, we will be glorious. You sit next to you, you interact with someone, who, as you insult him or her, you cut him down, you think little of him. You're sitting next to someone, if he's a Christian, if she's a Christian, who will be glorious. Marvelous, full of honor. With great power. No longer weak. Great power. Power given from God to be and to do what He always meant us to be and do. To be His image bearers. To be His reflectors in His creation. There is a day coming... 
when you and I, if you're a Christian, if you're not, become one, there's a day coming when we will physically, bodily, walk in the physical creation of God. Marvelous creatures. Creatures, but marvelous. You can't even imagine it because all of your life to this point has been shaped, defined by wasting away. But no more. And all that God is, this infinite being who is all good. Think about this if you can. I I can hardly express it. Think about it. This God who is all good, who has a never-ending store. He's got a bucket with no bottom. A never-ending store of marvelous, beautiful, wise, powerful things to reveal about himself. You'll be acquiring them, learning them, and then reflecting them to the rest of his creatures. What a marvelous position to be in. With one another. Have you ever enjoyed perfect fellowship with another person? No, you haven't. You've enjoyed some good fellowship with another person, but perfect fellowship. Uh, We're in this together. You will have an existence like that. Beneath God, perfectly reflecting all of God's beauty and power and glory to His honor, He will be all in all. That is coming to you bodily one day. And part of it has already come. Because he has already been raised. And you have already been raised with him. In part. Not in full. In part. Think about this. That which is the the honor, the glory, and the power of that next life, God the Spirit has already been put in you as a down payment. A little bit of it. Not the full payment yet, just a down payment. Living inside of you. For you to know right now even. So we are a, we are a marvelously confused people. If you're a Christian who gets this, you are a marvelously confused person because you have one foot in this world, in this being of dust that is decaying, and you have another foot in the power of the Holy Spirit who is life himself. And that's how you walk through the next 30, 40, 50 years. Or, I should say, it's how you could walk through the next 30, 40, 50 years. Because the last thing I'll offer to you this morning is a hope uh, that sometimes I think is, in my low moments, I think is kind of pie-in-the-sky hope. But a hope that we, and by that I mean the people who called this place their church family. If it's not you, I don't mean to exclude you, but I'm talking about those of us who are in us here. That we 
would be a people who when you walk up next to the person, you smell something. You know how when you eat certain foods, you smell like it? Garlic being example number one. And you walk next to the person, you say, he's been eating garlic. I would love, I would love to be a part of a people that when we brush by one another, we think, oh, he's standing in heaven already. I can smell it on him. But I got to be honest. I mean, and not because I don't like you, but because I got to be honest. That's not common. I don't want to say it never happens, but it's not. It's not the norm. I sometimes catch a whiff. You probably walk by me and sometimes catch a whiff. And sometimes I think more dust as we fight to hold on to our lives here. Craziness. But let me move away from the rebuke and say, can you see the hope? Can you hope for that? Can you pray for that with me, that we would be a people who stink? Amen. <laughs> In a good way. There would be a scent, something oozing out of you. Because if you're a Christian, you do have, you have these feet in these two worlds. And you are a flower quickly fading, but you have the Spirit of God living in you. Walk with Him and be filled with Him. Be different. And I'm not saying, suck it up and be different. I'm, I'm saying, surrender and be different. Oh, there is more. We are a passing people. But we are here right now with God in us. And He's left you here for a reason. To walk and image Him all around to one another and to those out there who don't know Him. To image Him in His power, full of His honor. Not showing the decay and the decline, but showing the growth in grace. Showing that you are a spiritual person. Brothers and sisters, please, can we be that? Can we seek God for that? Can we find in this reality here, the truth in this passage, can we find in here some warning to not live for this life and some encouragement that there is another life coming and also the combination of the two, that that coming life is already here to help you not live for this one, but to live for the next one. I think probably the best thing for me to do is pray. To stop talking and pray. And to ask God that He would move this in us. Pray with me. So don't, don't just close your eyes and bow your head. Pray with me that He would do this, that He would help us to walk with Him and to know this life that is coming, even now, but to live hoping in it, minds set on it for the future. Let me pray. God Almighty, 
We are just people dependent on You to give life from outside of us. You have acted to do that in sending Christ. And we, Your people, say thank You for that. And we also then ask You to help us to be thankful and dependent on Him. To help us to live walking with what He brought us. A new life. While hoping in what He will bring us when He comes again. The wholeness of that new life. Would you work in us here, each individual person here, and point out sin and point out areas of our lives that we hold on to and seek our life in and have not yielded to you and pry our fingers open and help us to let go of it, to trust you. For my friends here who struggle in weakness, give them strength in your spirit. My friends here who see the decay and the decline, help them to grow and flourish in maturity in, in Christ. For those of us who know dishonor and shame, would you redeem? Would you be the God, as you say in Psalm 84, who bestows favor and honor? Would you give us your spirit? In individual hearts here, in our church as a whole, would you give us your spirit, Father? We have him. He indwells every believer. Bless your name. But would you cause something new and greater to happen by your initiative? You have done this in the past, Lord. You have moved on peoples. You've moved on whole nations. You've moved on church communities. Would you do that with us? In your timing, we submit to your will, but would you do that, please? Thank you for your saving work in sending the last Adam. Would you send him again and carry us fully to glory? And give us strength now to walk with you in this life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.